let's assign some verses if we can. Genesis 3, 8 through 13. If y'all volunteer quick, we can get through it quick. Now, thank you. Um, 1 Kings 19, 9 through 18. All right. And Proverbs 18, 13. All right. And then Proverbs 20, verse 5. Whoever screamed me. Okay, good. Galatians 6, 2. See how y'all are grabbing these single verse ones much quicker. Romans 12, 15. All right. And then Luke 6, 45. Whoever was over here said it. Okay. And then last one, James 1, 19. Okay. Awesome. So let's start out with Genesis and Kings. And what I want you to notice is how God interacts with people. First one being really major sinners. You're going to recognize this passage. Second being more of a major sufferer. Um, and, and you're going to kind of recognize this passage. But how does God pursue each of them, which will be uh, instructive for what we're talking about tonight. So go ahead with Genesis So, does God know where Adam and Eve are? Yeah. Does God know what Adam and Eve have done? Does God know what Eve herself did? Does he know they ate from the tree? And yet, he uses questions for them to reflect on what they've done so that they can come out of hiding and back into his gaze, back into his presence. So, we're hiding behind a tree where he can't see me, and these questions invite us to look inside ourselves and reflect and then move ourselves back to or move them, move themselves back to where he is. And so he's using questions uh, to, to spur that reflection. What about First uh, Kings? You got the hard ones. <laughs>
So if you have read through this section, Elijah stands up in front of, I think it's 850 between the two different cults, and he, uh, go ahead, have your sacrifice, I'll have my sacrifice. Fire falls from heaven, they slaughter all the false prophets, and then this one woman, Jezebel, you're going to be dead by tomorrow. And Elijah takes off into the desert, and he goes, hides in the caves, and seems to be in a place of a really big spiritual funk. I'm the only one. I'm all alone. There's no one else. It's just me, God. I love you, and I serve you, but there's no one else. Um, and so he's, he's sitting in there having a, a pity party, I guess is what we would say is probably the, the closest thing to it. And, and what does God do? He doesn't strike him with thunder or anything. He asks him a simple question. What's going on, Elijah? What are you doing? And Elijah tells him. And then what does God do? Now this is, in future weeks, this would be, we'd go more in depth. But in this week, what does God do? Stand here, cover your eyes, and let me show you all of me that I can give you at this point. Right? Because if you saw God, you'd die. So you can't see everything. But you're going to hear me, and you're going to see me, and you're going to see my power. He, he reframes his perspective on the bigness of God. And then he asks again, what's up, Elijah? What you doing? Ah, and he gives him the whole same speech again. And he says, Elijah, get to work. Because remember, I am at work. Now, we're not going to give any counsel that you should go slaughter people. And if they escape your sword, they'll get somebody else's sword. But you see the point, right? Go do what I've called you to do. I'm still at work vindicating my name. And there is always going to be people besides you who have not bowed their knee or their heart to anyone else. And so he's using questions to reframe the view of Elijah into this bigger view of God versus this small world of it's me and I'm all alone and there's nobody to help. All right, let's go through these other ones a little quicker. Um, Proverbs 18.13. How many of us feel very foolish and very shameful after reading that verse? How many times do you open up your mouth and start throwing up words at a friend? And you really have no clue what's going on because you've heard about three sentences. And you only listen to one of those sentences because you're really waiting for your sentences to come after that. It's a folly and a shame when we start pouring words on each other without taking time to understand each other. All right, the next one, Proverbs 20. So kind of you've heard that each week. We want to be better and better at the well of our own soul and the well of other people's souls. How do we get in there and draw out those purposes, draw out what's in the heart, and bring it back up to the surface? Um, all right, Galatians 6.2. So, so part of the commands of Jesus for your life is that you go beside people around you and you help them carry the, the, the load that has gotten too heavy for them. Um, and so when we're talking about listening well to other people, we're talking about how do I get beside somebody and help carry the load with them. Um, Romans 12:15. Do you have relationships in your life outside of your family that if something broke their heart today, your heart would be broken with them? Or if some great blessing just flooded their life tonight and they got the text news tonight, like you'd be shouting as loud as they're shouting. Um, and so that's part of that connection. Uh, Luke 6.45. Uh, 
Okay, so you're going to hear this pretty much every week too. Out of the abundance of the the mouth. All right, that was less than enthusiastic, but you got the point. The stuff in here is what comes out here. Um, okay, and the last one, I believe, James 1.19. Yep. So the two ears and one mouth principle. Two ears and one mouth principle. Should I listen twice as much as I speak as often as possible? All right. Um, okay. So let's let's walk through this uh, quick review. Some major problematic thought categories. So we talked about these last week. Uh, this was our first week's diagram, and I just want to put it in the context of last week and and some of this week. So our heart contains worships and our heart contains wants, right? And so desert, or in that same desert, it's growing this tree that bears its fruit in proper season. And so the heart, my, this is the kind of words my friend is using. Something has captured them uh, and is, is either plaguing them in the direction of suffering or plaguing them in the direction of sin and temptation. And those words, a heart captured by Jesus wants to make everyone better for having known you and spent time with you. Edifying. Uh, so that kind of quick recap of, of, of what we've been going through. And then today, what we looked at already in Genesis and 1 Kings won't go into a lot. Look how often God draws out our hearts by questions. Jesus did the same thing. But where are you? Three chapters of questions. When the, when the morning star sang, were you there? Or where were you when I stretched out the line of the earth? Are you the one that could throw a hook and get Leviathan to, you know, her question? And this is Job's response at the end of it. Here and I will speak. This is Job's response to God's three chapters of questions. I will question you and make it known. I will question you and you make it known to me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Job's response to God's questions, God's questions were meant to reframe his perspective. There's a God and a world that is so much bigger than anything you've lost. And as he asks all those questions, Job's like, all I've done is hear about you to this point, but now I've encountered you in a way of suffering. It did not take away the fact that he had lost his kids. It didn't take away the fact that he lost his wealth. It reframed the perspective into a big enough picture to hold that suffering with joy in the same time. Um, so God often used questions to draw out our reflection. He also used it to reorient our perspective and other things. So kind of the main focus for tonight is this. Love people enough to be curious. And that, that, oh man, I just feel guilty. Oh, I feel bad. Oh, I messed up. Oh man, I'm just no good. If you hear that over and over again, they're telling you something. Right? If you listen, they're telling you something that's going on in their heart. Oh, I'm just worried. I was so worried. I'm anxious, I was worried, I was worried, I was worried. And this, this, this word comes up in so many of your interactions once or twice or more times, a lot of the times that you get together and have any meaningful conversation. It's telling you something. Their words are telling you something. What about if they're constantly joking and deflecting from themselves or constantly biting at someone with sarcasm, especially that someone might happens to be their spouse? It's telling you something. It's pointing to something going on. Right? Um, you can look and listen to see if something's up, if there's interactions with, them with people close to them. And so I, 
probably marriage is the, the most obvious time this happens, right? Is if you watch them interact, they kind of nip at each other a lot. Or if you watch them enough, the eye rolls seem to be frequent. Or if you watch them, like there's almost this discomfort, like you realize there's other people around and you guys are like kind of half fighting. Like this is not comfortable for the rest of us. Um, how are they interacting with, with people that are close to them? Could be friends, could be kids, could be whoever. Um, these are going to cue you in that something's up. Um, again, if you listen long enough, people will tell you their hopes, they will tell you their fears, they will tell you your joy, their joys and their treasures if you listen long enough and if you listen well enough. And so just make it a practice to try to listen. Um, and then just a kind of a caveat to that is not everything people carry is obvious. A lot of us have become really good at hiding what's really going on. And so it requires a sensitivity and it requires this constant desire to be curious and know about people to try to draw out. And so if you find that your people around you and how they say things or there's things they never talk about or you know, they, they're never willing to kind of get into stuff about themselves, these might be cues that you have to be a little more intentional to start prying in there and seeing what's going on um, because they have reserved themselves in, in, in some way. And so not everything people carry is obvious, and, and they've, they've become really good at not hiding it in the negative sense. They've become really good at managing and surviving with whatever's going on in there. Um, how they say what they don't say, what they avoid. All right, and then second way to, to love people enough to be curious is asking good questions and then asking more good questions. Number one thing about that, though, is you do not have a television show. Nobody pays you to sit on CNN and crossfire the person across the table from you. Right? You are a friend who is humble and loving, and you want your friend to have these same questions for you sometimes. You want your friend to see if you're carrying the weight of the world. You want your friend to see if, if there's a temptation you're wrestling with. Right? And so with a humble and gracious and caring posture, you ask questions. Not an interrogator, not an interviewer. This is not, you know, this is not a job interview nor a television show. And so do you, do you just care is why you ask questions. This person means something to you. That's why you ask questions, right? You're not curious. Uh, you're, it's not idle curiosity, I should say. Uh, ask open-ended questions, right? Just throw out a generic question and, and see if they'll tell you. That's why we ask all the time, right, how are you doing? And that's how we've all learned the answer. I'm fine. How are you? So, can we ask questions like that and mean it? And can we ask questions like that where we intend to get the actual response, not the, not the I'm fine response? At least in the right times and people and places um, that goes. And so, open-ended questions, general questions that allow them to share what they think is going on. Right, because you may see something and you may see some interactions they're having and you're like, oh man, that grieves me because it doesn't feel like them and their... Their spouse are getting along very well. That grieves me because it feels like there's friction with their kids. It grieves me because it feels like those two friends, are, there's some distance forming that wasn't there before. Um, but instead of saying, hey, like, why are you blowing it up with your spouse? Like, you know, what's going on with you guys? Um, ask some general open questions to let them tell you if they're going to tell you. But then there's also, and if they don't, sins are. Drill down to what the suffering is to understand it. Drill down to what the temptations are and, and the frequency of them, right? And so get to 
man, how did you respond when they said that? Well, this and this and this and this. So your specific questions are, again, just drilling down deeper. So what happened when they said that? How did you respond when they, when they said that? Man, what happened next? Um, is this a fight you guys have often? And so you're able to just get specific, drill down, and then start trying to uncover, you know, what are some of the things you think you were wanting in that moment? Um, what do you think it was really about? So general questions, just let them kind of share what's going on to the degree that lets you, that are broad, specific, drill down into the specific issue, the specific circumstance, and, and get a better understanding for how it unfolded. Um, again, just a reminder, you're a friend, not an interrogator. Right? So um, like we said, we're not, on, we're not on a TV interview show, we're not a detective, you know, we're, we're friends, we love people. Um, so there are some barriers to us drawing out the deep waters of others' hearts. Right? There, there's some things that get in the way of us being the people of understanding who draw out the purposes of a man's heart. There's some things that get in the way of us um, being those who hear before we speak because, you know, that's folly and shame if we don't. So barrier one, stopping long enough to sense something is up with others. And we've kind of covered that, so I won't go into it more detail, except for to say this one sub-point. This is about love, and this is about relationship. And it is about loving the other person and what's going on with them more than loving me and what I might want to talk about or, or how I might want things to go or it being comfortable even. And it's about relationship. You know, it's, it is always best when you have cultivated a relationship with somebody that that relationship is the context for you to uncover someone's heart. That relationship is the context for you to comfort through finding out what's going on. That relationship is the context for you to draw out of hiding somebody that's in their sin and to come into repentance. And so relationship is key. And that's why we're trying to push towards microgroups so much. And that's why we, we want to be a relationship-based ministry and relationship-based discipleship. It's because we want every single person at Fletcher to have relationships like this where there's, there's a trust level to have these conversations. The second barrier, hurting and sinful people can be prickly and self-protective. Right? So hurting people, and especially sinful people, they're like porcupines. And when you begin to touch where their sin is, where their idol is, when you begin to shed light on it, they tend to, to poke you a little bit. It's t it tends to sting. And so hurting people often have these, these floodgates over their heart, and they've learned to deal with their hurt. They've learned to survive in their hurt. They've learned how to live with this, this, this pain or this difficulty or this hardship. And they're terrified that if they were to open up just a little bit of that floodgate, what might come out in that moment? And they may not be able to, to, they don't know how to handle that. They know how to handle it being covered up and protected. They know how to handle keeping it in these, these walls. They don't know what's going to happen if they let it loose. 
And so hurting people can be very self-protective, and sinful people can be very prickly, very defensive, very sharp in their response. And you've probably experienced this. I mean, if it's a roommate, if it's your spouse, if they go to an area you don't want them to go, if you cry or yell, it will shut off that conversation. And when you shut off that conversation, the other side will learn that's an area we don't talk about anymore. And so when we're sinful, we keep our friends from going to areas we don't want them to go to save the friendship or our spouses to go to areas we don't want to go because they want to protect the peace of the relationship. And so we can be prickly and self-protective. It's going to require a certain level of boldness for us to ask the questions and then press the questions and then follow up with the questions and not give up. Um, It's going to just take some boldness. It's going to take some courage. It's going to say, I love you and your soul more than I love me and my comfort because they're going to be self-protective. They're going to be prickly. Um, One note I would give you on this to ask yourself first, am I humble and receptive to somebody exposing something in my life? Am I humble and receptive if confronted with a potential sin? So we always want to start with our own hearts first. And one of the, I think we said it's Sunday, one of the main ways we can see where our relationship with Jesus is, how do we respond when someone points out our sin? How do we respond when somebody points out our sin? Am I humble and receptive? And then the other part of that are my friendships inviting these kind of conversations. So when there's not an issue on the table, when there's not a sin to confront, having these kind of conversations of like, I want you to say something if you see something in my life. I want you to pry in, even if, I, even if in the moment I'm trying to resist it. I want you to uncover this. I want all the life Jesus has for me. And that means I need you to, to go there with me. But I also want to be able to do that for you because I believe that's what friendship and love is all about. And so have that understanding among a few friends. Like we're going to do this together. Um, third barrier that I see is being quiet long enough to listen to others. Being quiet long enough to listen to others. <clears throat> we've, we've already covered it, so I'm not going to go much in detail. We've talked about it some, but the two ears and one mouth principle. You're given two ears, one mouth. Listen twice as much as you speak. Um, truly listen. Right? Don't just wait to speak. If we answer before we hear, we're foolish and it's shameful. And we don't want to be foolish, and we don't want to be shameful. Right? So we, we hear, we listen, then we speak. Um, listen for what is said, but also listen for what is not said. What is being said? What isn't talked about? Where is God in this equation? Are you hearing him come up at all? Where is God's purposes in this equation, or is it all confined to self? What are you hearing and what are you not hearing as part of the conversation? Uh, and then the last barrier that I see, and I'm sure there's more. This is the last I see. Accepting the first answer or stopping with an incomplete answer. So it goes something like this. Um, you finally get up the nerve to talk to your friend who's who's been 
kind of just a little abrasive and hurtful with his wife, maybe embarrassing her a little bit. And so, you know, you're having you're having coffee or lunch or breakfast, and you're like, man, I've just noticed this, this pattern. How's everything with with you and and your wife? And they're like, oh yeah, you're right, man. It's just been stressful at work lately. And we're like, oh, I get it. Work stress is tough. And we stop there. Well, that's the first response. That's an incomplete response. That's not a full understanding of the problem. Man, I get work is stressful, and I stop. I haven't helped them in this this kind of back and forth spiral of their relationship that's hurting. I've I've and stop there. I don't help them. But what about that follow-up question? Man, I get work is stressful, but what else is going on with you guys? What are some ways we can encourage you and come along? Man, what are some ways y'all could honor the Lord in, in, in these hard and stressful times? Um, so accepting the first answer or stopping with an incomplete answer is going to keep you from drawing out the deep waters of somebody's heart. Go ahead and ask that, heart, that second question. Takes a little boldness. Go ahead and ask that follow-up and keep talking about it until you find out what's really going on. Right? And again, we're going to be talking in future weeks about what do I do once I find something out? Right? How, do I, how do I deal with it? But for now, we're just trying to, to, to data gather, to understand what's up. Um, a couple more quick things as we begin to wind down. The, the other thing I would mention is this is a three-way conversation. Right? So when I'm talking to someone and I want to comfort them or I'm talking to someone and I, I want to, to draw them towards repentance uh, and I just want to understand what's going on in their life, it's a three-way conversation. God is there. I am there, and they are there. And so I want to pray as I go into it. I want to pray the whole time, God, just help me to hear what I need to hear. Help me to ask the right questions. God, help my heart to, to, to be, have enough courage to say what I need to say, God. Um, help me to discern what's going on. I, I need the Holy Spirit to do something in me. I need the Holy Spirit to do something in them. We need you to work, God. And so you're, you're talking to the Father as you're talking to each other, and, and you're wanting to, the Holy Spirit to be part of that. Um, a huge note of caution, a huge note of caution, is on sinner and sufferer. We far too often treat sinners with great sympathy and sufferers with great, um, with, with great truth or confrontation. And so I want to give you two categories. Every sinner is a sufferer because sin carries consequences in the world that God made. Every sufferer is most likely also a sinner because generally the natural response to hurt and suffering and hardship in our life is sinful responses of worry or anger or, or outbursts or um, escapism to something else. And so it's really important that you take the time for, to know what you're dealing with. Is this person primarily a sinner who needs to hear the truth to draw them out to grace? And I am going to share the truth as directly as I need to to bring them to life, grace, and repentance. And so high truth, whatever level they require. Right? It is God's goodness that leads us to repentance. So I want to start with his goodness. I want to start by drawing them out uh, carefully. I want to start with an understanding of them and where they are. 
um, and I want to up the truth and confrontation level until they come. And when they come, I want to give them all the Jesus I can give them. Right? Um, sinners who are also suffering. I, I, I can sympathize with the fact that it hurts to sin, but I want to bring you to life, which is repentance and grace. But am I dealing, what if I'm dealing with a sufferer who is sinning also? I don't start with the sin. I start with the grace. I start with the comfort. I start with understanding the weight of their heart and their life. I start by letting them unburden themselves with me. And as they do that, Jesus will bring comfort. Jesus will show himself. And either we together or Jesus will bring them to a place of, of restoration for these sin areas. But I'm going to start with comfort. Um, so truth to grace, that's sinner who's suffering. Sufferer who's sinning, I want to give them grace that leads ultimately to truth. Um, a few examples that, that are in your notes um, is I want you to just walk through these examples individually, and then I want you to think of one, two, three, four questions that you would ask to begin to uncover that issue. Now, we're not good at this naturally. We stink at this naturally. That's why we're going to practice. So read those examples in the notes. They're in the show notes, or uh, we can email you a copy. Read over each of those examples and, and just think of two or three or four questions that you would ask to try to find out what's going on. And again, you want to get to know. You don't want to um, attack or condemn or, or whatever. This isn't the speaking part. This is the understanding part. This is the listening part, the two ears part. Mouth will come later. Um, so, again, you're listening to this. There's not a table time application, but you could walk through these questions. I would definitely encourage you to walk through the examples. Um, as always, we're closing with an application. And so we want you to do something simple and tangible uh, at home. And so here they are. The first, we want you to create two more journal entries of problematic thought patterns that you have. And so stop at two times in the coming week and record, okay, here's some problematic thoughts I'm having. Here's what they're about. Here's when they happen. Here's who, who they're about. Um, and just record as much as you can about who and what and when and where and why. And then again, evaluate. How much is the same as the previous few weeks? How much is different? Are there any themes or patterns emerging? You're going to use this in the coming weeks. And so I want you to have at least four to six of these journal entries and interactions uh, and able to do that. Here's the second application as we're moving things forward. I want you to plan to have a meal or a coffee with another believer um, in this coming week. Have a meal or a coffee. And your goal is simply this. Get to know them a little better. Get to know them a little better. That's all. Find out a little more about what's going on with them. Find out a little more about their life and their joys and their, their challenges. Um, the Bible says, bear one another's burdens. And so I want you to think about this. Is the way I ask questions of other people or if they actually trust me enough to tell me what's going on with their life, is the way I ask the questions or what I do with the information they trust me with. Does it help lighten their burden and let me carry some of it with them? Or
more is the way I ask questions and the way I interact with the information they give me. Does it add weight back to them? Does it put a brick of guilt on top of them? Does it put a brick of condemnation on top of them? Does it give them something more to worry about? If we're going to bear one another's burdens, we ask questions in a way that allows them to unburden themselves. If we're going to bear one another's burdens, then we we take information from people and get to know people in a way that allows them to unburden themselves and we're people they can trust with that. So that's it. I want to, um, again, encourage you towards these applications and these, these questions at home, and we'll see you next week.